There's something that we do that doctors tell us is good medicine. It can eliminate stress, fight headaches, and alleviate hypertension. In fact, when you do this activity, your heart rate increases as much as 120 beats per minute. And when you cease this activity, your heart rate goes lower than it was before, an indication of less stress. When you do this activity, studies have shown it can lower your blood pressure, increase vascular flow, and boost the immune system. It gives the diaphragm, abdominal, intercostal, respiratory, accessory, and facial muscles a complete workout. It even releases endorphins in your brain, which are opiates or natural painkillers. What is this activity? I want to say it's tithing. But it's what you just did. It's laughter. Laughing is like exercising. That's why you often say, stop it, my, my sides are hurting. Laughing is good for you, it's healthy. But I want you to know this morning that doctors were not the first to say that. God said that a long time ago. Proverbs 17, 22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine. But I want to tell you something else this morning. A joyful heart is not just good for your physical health. It's good for your spiritual health. If you don't have joy in your life, you are spiritually feeble. In fact, joy is so essential in your life that God puts it number two on His list in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 when He lists the fruit that God the Holy Spirit is producing inside of you. Now, that may surprise some of you, especially those of you with long faces. If you're surprised that joy is number two on God's list, it may be that you have some misconceptions about joy. Let me just mention a couple of them. Number one misconception about joy is Christianity is no laughing matter. Do I hear an amen? Christianity is no laughing matter. Some of us grew up hearing the words, don't laugh, you're in church. And some of us had it ingrained in us that Christianity is serious and somber and sober. In fact, so much so that the most fitting countenance is a frown or a scowl. I heard of one fellow who went in the bank and the teller said to him, you look like a pastor. And he said, no, I've just had the flu. I'm afraid we are oftentimes giving the world the impression that we condemn any fun as sin. Did you know that the words joy, joyful, rejoice are used over 450 times in the Bible? We have not been given salvation to endure. We have been given salvation to enjoy. Christianity is nothing less than a festival of joy. You know what it says about the early church in Acts 13, 52? It says, And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Wherever the Holy Spirit of God fills a life, it overflows with joy. In Zephaniah 3, 17, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst. 
He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Did you get that? God is in our midst and he is shouting with joy. And some of us are saying, shh, you're in church. C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. In fact, Jesus referred to it this way in Matthew 25, 21. He said, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He used joy as a synonym for salvation and heaven. In fact, the Greek word for the word grace is charis. The Greek word for the word joy is charos. From the same root word. The grace of God brings the joy of God. Grace is the root of salvation. Joy is the fruit of salvation. And so a joyless Christian is a slander against Jesus Christ. Billy Sunday said, if there's no joy in your religion, there's a leak in your Christianity. I like what John Powell said. He said, if you say you have received God's grace, and if you say you have received God's mercy, and if you say you have received God's love, and if you say you have God's Son and God's Spirit, and if you say you live in His presence, and if you know you're going to heaven, please notify your face. God says over and over in the Psalms, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Now, we usually think that's singing. That's because you've heard me sing. But I'm also convinced that one of the most obvious joyful noises on earth is laughter. Make a joyful noise of laughter unto the Lord. Christianity is a laughing matter. Second misconception. Joy is dependent upon circumstances. Most people operate on the if-only plan when it comes to joy. If only I would win the lottery, I'd be happy. If only I was more talented or more beautiful, I'd be happy. If only I could find a more fulfilling job, I'd be happy. If only I could find Mr. Right, I'd be happy. That's why we always ask the question, what would it take to make you happy? You see, we associate happiness with good circumstances. In fact, I looked up the word happy in the dictionary. It comes from an old word, hap, that means chance or luck. And the definition in the dictionary of happiness is favored by circumstances, lucky, fortunate. You see, we think that being happy is something that just happens. It's happenstance. But if that's the definition of happiness, then we would have to say that joy is very different from happiness. Happiness is external. Joy is internal. Happiness depends on circumstances. Joy depends on Christ. Happiness depends on what happens to you. 
Joy depends on who lives in you. Happiness depends on chance. Joy depends on choice. Happiness is temporary and fickle. Joy is permanent and settled. People who are continually joyful do so in spite of circumstances rather than because of circumstances. That's why Paul could say in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Rejoice always. That's why he could say in the book of Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, Rejoice. You know when he said that? He said that when he was in prison. That's why Paul could say about the churches of Macedonia in 2 Corinthians 8 too, that in a great ordeal of affliction and in the midst of their deep poverty, they had an abundance of joy. That's why Habakkuk could say in Habakkuk 3.17, Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce no food, Though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. You see, they could say that because joy is not associated with circumstances. Now let me add a footnote right here. The Bible does not say to be happy all the time. Being around somebody who's happy all the time would get real old real fast. The Bible says to be joyful all the time. And I can be joyful even when I'm not happy. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and what? Weep with those who weep. But see, I can be weeping with those who are weeping and I can still have an underlying joy because I am rejoicing in the Lord, not the circumstances. Now, what is it that keeps us from rejoicing always? Let me give you three things that wither the fruit of joy in your life. Three killjoys. Number one, failure to confess my sins. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then he sought to cover it up by having her husband put to death. And then after that, he continued to seek to cover it up. He hid it from everyone, including God. And if you read the account in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, you get the idea that David would have gotten away with it if Nathan hadn't shown up and said, you're the man. But you know, the truth is that David wasn't getting away with anything. In fact, I want you to look at a passage. Look at Psalm 32. Because here, David expresses to us what was going on inside of him during this time. Psalm 32 and verse 3. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. David may have been putting on a good front, but David was miserable. And why was David miserable? Because he had been silent about his sin. 
And then if you look at the very next phrase, it says, I acknowledged my sin to thee. That was the turning point for David. And then I want you to flip over a few uh, psalms to Psalm 51, where we have the record of David's confession. He comes clean in verse 4 of Psalm 51. And he says, against thee, thee only, I have sinned. And then in verse 7, he says to God, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. But you know what I like? He doesn't stop there. Because he comes down to verse 12, and he says, Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. You see, that's what David had lost. And that's what we all lose when we fail to confess our sins to God. Second kill joy is falling for a counterfeit. Have you noticed there's a whole lot of counterfeit joy in the world? The Bible calls it folly. Folly is when you laugh for the wrong reasons or you laugh at the wrong things. In fact, the Bible indicates that you can really tell by the difference in the tone of a laugh where it comes from. Ecclesiastes 7.6 says, The laughter of a fool is like the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot. Now, what characterizes counterfeit joy? Let me give you three things. Number one, the joy of pleasure. The world says that joy comes through fulfilling your selfish desires. If you want joy, you just have to grab for the gusto. If you want joy, you just have to go to happy hour. Well, Solomon was the richest man in the world in his day, and he took all of those resources and he decided he was going to find all the pleasure he could find in life. Here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 2.1. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. And what conclusion did he reach? He says, and behold, it was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? Joy that is based on self-pleasure does not satisfy. It's counterfeit. Second kind of counterfeit joy is the joy of perversion. The world says that joy comes through laughing about evil. In fact, if you look at the sitcoms on television today, 90% of the humor is laughing about sin. That's counterfeit joy. In Proverbs 15, 21, Solomon said, Folly is joy to him who lacks sense. So you may have a good sense of humor, but if you're laughing at the wrong things, that's not real joy. That is folly. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus came to the house of the synagogue official whose daughter had died. And he cleared the crowd out of the house by saying, Depart, for the girl has not died, but is asleep. And the Bible says they began laughing at him. They had a good laugh at Jesus until he raised her from the dead, and then they stopped laughing. Now, I would suggest to you today that you don't want to be laughing at Jesus. 
You want to be laughing with Jesus. Joy that is based on perversion is counterfeit. Third, is the joy of preservation. You know, many people laugh as a defense mechanism. They laugh in order to hide behind that laughter what's really going on in their life. Proverbs 14, 13 says, Even in laughter, the heart may be in pain, and the end of joy may be grief. A plastic smile is counterfeit joy. You see, real joy is not something you hide behind. Real joy is something that fills you up and overflows. So just because you're laughing doesn't mean you have joy. You may be falling for a counterfeit joy based on pleasure or perversion or preservation. That's why in James 4, 9, where it says, draw near to God, it then tells us how to draw near to God. And James says this, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. You see, you have to turn from your counterfeit joy and come to God in sorrowful repentance in order to experience true joy. Well, then there's a third kill joy, and that is focusing in the wrong direction. There is a kill joy that sneaks into your thoughts and tries to get you to do one of two things. Either it tries to get you to focus on the past, that is, look back and conjure up something in your past that demoralizes you. Remember those things you failed at in the past. And if it can get you to be filled with guilt about what you did in the past, then you can't be filled with joy in the present. Or it tries you to get you to look toward the future and think about, what if? What if this happens? What if that happens? And if it can get you worried about what's going to happen in the future, it'll get you filled with fear. And when you're filled with fear, you can't be filled with joy. You see, joyful people are riveted on the present. They're looking at the here and now, not the then and never. Helen Malakote wrote something called I Am, and I think she had something good to say. Listen to this. I was regretting the past and fearing the future. Suddenly my Lord was speaking. My name is I Am. He paused. I waited. He continued. When you live in the past with its mistakes and regrets, it is hard. I am not there. My name is not I was. When you live in the future with its problems and fears, it is hard. I am not there. My name is not I will be. When you live in this moment, it is not hard. I am here. My name is I am. Beware of killjoys. Failing to confess your sins. Falling for a counterfeit. Focusing in the wrong direction. Now, what is true about joy? What can we say about joy this morning? And again, I had to kind of condense this outline and I left all kinds of things laying on my desk that didn't fit in. 
So this is not comprehensive. But let me say five things about joy this morning. Number one is the provision of joy. It's important for us to understand that joy is not just something that we drum up inside ourselves. In fact, joy doesn't come from us at all. The joy that we have as believers is God's joy inside us. Jesus prayed these words to the Father in John 17, 13. He said that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Jesus has placed His joy inside of me and it's His Spirit that produces that joy as fruit in my life. And when we talk about His joy, God's joy, Jesus' joy, the problem some of us have is that we don't think God's very joyful. Most of us think that God is rather stoic and stiff and boring. I like what Chuck Swindoll said in his book, Laugh Again. He said, God's sense of humor has intrigued me for years. What's amazing, however, is the number of people who don't think He has one. For the life of me, I can't figure out why they can't see it. He made you and me, didn't he? And what about all those funny-looking creatures that keep drawing us back to the zoo? If they aren't proof of our Creator's sense of humor, I don't know what is. Have you taken a close look at a wombat or a two-toed sloth, a giant anteater or a warthog lately? They're hilarious. Every time I look at a camel, I chuckle, recalling the words of someone who said it reminded him of a horse put together by a committee. The prophets of Baal came out on Mount Carmel and cried out to their God that he would send fire out of heaven. Of course, he didn't. You know, after a while, Elijah stepped forward, and Elijah suggested in 1 Kings 18, 27 that maybe their God was on a journey or maybe he was sleeping or maybe he had gone to the bathroom. Now, I think when Elijah said that, God laughed. When the fellow named Eutychus, who was listening to Paul preach in Acts 20, nodded off to sleep and fell out of the third floor window, I think God laughed. You say, well, Jesus wasn't very happy. Well, it's true that Isaiah 53.3 calls him a man of sorrows. But that's in the context of Isaiah 53, where it's talking about the cross. Jesus' life was full of joy. In fact, he had a reputation among the Pharisees of having too much joy. They accused him in Matthew eleven nineteen of being a gluttonous man and a drunkard and a friend of sinners. Now, how would those kind of accusations stick unless Jesus was an individual who laughed a lot? When Jesus turned to his disciples in John 15, 11 and said, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. They didn't say, Your joy? You don't have any joy? No, they had been with him for three and a half years. They had experienced his joy. They had laughed with Jesus all of that time. I love the phrase in Luke 10, 21, where it says of Jesus, He rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. What a picture. 
Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. That's the same joy he has placed inside of you and me. What kind of joy is it? Jude 24 says it's exceeding joy. It's beyond anything we could have known or imagined. 1 Peter 1.8 says we greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible. It's indescribable joy. Isaiah 51.11 says it's everlasting joy. It never ends. It's beyond human joy. It can't be described. It lasts forever. That's the joy. God has given us. Second thing I want to say about true joy is the priority of joy. The disciples came back to Jesus in Luke 10 all excited because they had been able to cast out demons. And Jesus instructed them that there is a priority in joy. Here's what he said in Luke 10, 20. Do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. I get great joy out of preaching. I get great joy out of serving God. But that's not the priority of joy in my life. The priority of joy in my life is that my name is written in heaven. See, the priority of joy is not what you do. The priority of joy is who you know. In fact, I think from Scripture we could expand that a little more, that priority, and say that the real priority of joy in Scripture is relationships. John the Baptist said these words when he saw Jesus in John 3, 29. He said, He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice, and so this joy of mine has been made full. What was the greatest joy in John the Baptist's life? It wasn't being a preacher. It wasn't drawing great crowds. He says it was hearing the bridegroom's voice. It was a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to what John said in 1 John 1.3. He said, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ, and these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John's joy was made complete through fellowship with the Father and the Son and with each other. It's in relationships. Paul said it this way in Philippians 2.2, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Paul's love was made complete through a unity of fellowship, relationship. John talked about his greatest joy in 3 John 4. He said, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. His greatest joy was relationships. And then I love Jesus' words in Luke 15, 10. He said, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. All of heaven rejoices over a new relationship. The priority of joy is relationships. I rejoice in my relationship with God. I rejoice when I can help you get further in your relationship with God. And I rejoice when I get to bring someone else into a relationship with God. That's the priority of joy. And then third is the perspective of joy. 
Joy doesn't wait, have to wait around for good circumstances to happen. I can be joyful, rain or shine. Because the proper perspective of joy is that I can rejoice even in bad times. Listen to these words from Paul in 2 Corinthians 7, 4. He said, I am overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. Did you get that? I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. Now, how could he say that? Well, he explains it to us in Romans 5, 3. He says, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character. Why can I be joyful even in difficult circumstances? Because I know that God is taking that harm and using it for good in my life. See, the myth that most of us live under is when I get all my problems solved, I'll be happy. But what we don't understand is that life is just a series of problem solving because it's a test for eternity. You never get clear of problems. So if you have decided you're only going to be joyful between problems, you're going to be a very grumpy person. You have to decide with God's joy, you're going to be joyful in the middle of problems. See, that's the perspective of joy. Fourth thing, the paradox of joy. Listen to Jesus' words in Acts 20, 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, the word blessed means happy or joyful. There's the paradox of joy. Joy doesn't come through grabbing. Joy comes through giving. It doesn't come to those who are selfish. It comes to those who are selfless. If you're down in the dumps, the world says, go out and get. God says, go out and give. It's a great verse for you in Isaiah 58, 10, and 11. If you never marked these verses, Isaiah 58, 10, and 11, here's a promise from God. He says, if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones and you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. If you will feed the hungry, the less fortunate, if you will minister to others who are afflicted, God has a promise for you. He says your gloom will disappear and your life will light up like the noonday sky. The paradox of joy is that joy comes through giving, ministering to others. Fifth and final thing is the presence of joy. Do you know where the greatest joy in the universe is? Psalm 1611 says, In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand there are pleasures forever. The fullness of joy is in the presence of God. Which tells me that when I've got a lack of joy in my life, it's like a warning light on my dashboard that says, 
I need to get closer to God. Because in His presence is fullness of joy. And what's exciting is that God has brought His kingdom down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit. And He set up that kingdom inside our hearts. And do you know what the characteristic of God's kingdom is? Listen to Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The evidence of the kingdom of God that God has set up His kingdom in my heart is His joy overflowing in me. Most of us are very familiar with the parable of the prodigal son. I think it's, for most of us, a favorite because it identifies our relationship with God. The prodigal son's talking about me. But I think something we often overlook in that story is what it says to us in verse 24. It says there, when the prodigal came home, it says they began to be merry. In a modern translation would be they partied. He came home and there was joy in the presence of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like the prodigal. You've been out trying to find pleasure in this world and you've never been satisfied. Maybe you're like the prodigal. You've gone out spending your fortune to try to find joy and you've ended up in the pig pen. Well, I want to tell you this morning that you have a father who is diligently looking for you. You have a father who scans the horizon patiently waiting for you to arrive. And he has spared no expense. There's a blood-stained cross in the past to prove it. And he stands today with arms wide open, with a broad smile on his face, with the band tuning up, with the banquet ready to be served. He's ready to bring you into the fullness of his joy. The only thing that's missing is you. Why not come home today to the presence of your loving Father who wants to not only share His joy with you, but fill you with His joy?